0: Thank you I am honored to be here with you uh, and as I walked in this morning I realized I have been here before. I don't think I've preached here and I don't know exactly what was going on. It was approximately 35 years or so ago that uh, I was here right at the time and I think this park was still under construction. And some kind of activity here, but it, and you changed your name, but I still found you here, so it's good to be back with you. When you go to different places, there are sometimes some particular streets that are perhaps even more famous than the name of the place itself. Uh, I understand that if you want to go to New York and you really want to hit it big on stage, you're going to be hitting it on Broadway. Uh, up in Chicago, there's that State Street, a great street. You've heard about it. Uh, there's a highway that goes from Chicago all the way out to Los Angeles where people are said to get their kicks. On uh, Route 66, there are some, some roads that just begin to have a kind of a, uh, a, a special attraction to them, a special meaning. Uh, there's one, uh, particular road that was well known in Southern Gospel. Uh, some of you who, uh, might, may know some old Southern Gospel quartet songs may know, As you travel along, Jericho Road has really captured a lot of attention over the years. Now the setting is somewhat ominous. Uh, when you see the Jericho Road, it's on a rocky promontory that appears to be up high, but it's actually still down low, of something like 600 feet below sea level in the deepest gash on the face of this earth. It looks out over this precipice down toward the uh, Dead Sea where there's almost always kind of a mist coming up from that uh, syrupy, salty mix the, uh, in the Dead Sea. It's a setting that came into biblical history pretty importantly because uh, it was the First city to be conquered by the children of Israel after they had completed their forty years of wandering in the wilderness under Moses' supervision.
1: And when they came
0: into the promised land, they first of all had to take the city of Jericho. And uh do you remember that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a tumbling down. And the city was actually never rebuilt at that location, a little uh, bit aside of, of what we might call across the road, they, uh, they rebuilt the city. But it's a city where uh, there were some remarkable things that happened even before that remarkable fight that was uh, held, which wasn't a battle at all. I mean, you march around the city and you do it several times and pretty soon the walls collapse. But they sent spies into the city, and the uh, spies stayed with a certain woman by the name of Rahab. Her name is actually Rahab the harlot. That's not a name that you find people wanting to pass on to their children. But, uh, she kept it an in and she did a special thing in receiving the spies, protecting them, enabling them to sneak out through the city wall. And the spies of Israel were delivered and as a result, she and her family were the only ones who survived uh, that assault against the uh, city of Jericho. So it's a city that has some significant history. But the uh, road down to Jericho happened to have been highlighted in a story that Jesus told. Uh, the, the road is not an especially good road. It's a difficult road. Comes down in the Scarborough from someplace around 3,000 feet elevation down into below sea level. Almost as much as uh, if you were to go all the way from the south rim of the Grand Canyon down to the bottom of the canyon, a massive, massive, massive drop. A hard way to go either direction that you're going on it. And it was a rough setting where uh, there are caves and uh, crevices in the rocks where people would hide, and it would not be uncommon for robbers to use that as a layer to attack people. And it's with that setting that our text takes place today. Let me read that text for you. It's in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And it's in, the event is introduced to us by uh, the interchange between Jesus and one particular man. On one occasion, an expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus. An expert in the law means he was not just a lawyer. He was the one who would be the teacher of the law. He's the one who would help everybody else to understand what the law was about. He would be an impressive person to confront. He asked him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? It's interesting that Jesus would be kind and deferential. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this. And you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Isn't that interesting? He wanted to justify himself. That's a legalistic perspective. I can do this on my own. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus chose to answer the question, By telling a story that everybody could understand. And I'm pretty sure we understand this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. Beat him. And went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert yes. in the law replied, and you almost hear a restrained reply here, uh, uh, the, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This event would not have been terribly surprising to the people who were living that. If you could imagine a husband and his wife on a, a Sunday morning reading the Jerusalem Times, Benjamin is saying to Martha, Oh, let's, look here, Martha, it's happened again. There's another mummy that took place out on the Jericho Road. Martha says, "I don't know why people go out there. That's such a dangerous place to be. There's all kinds of problems there." He said, "Well, this guy went. Who knows? Maybe he had business he had to attend to." Huh? It was pretty bad. People stripped him and left him to die. Listen to this, Martha. Two different religious leaders passed by. They just came and saw him and didn't do a thing. Isn't that the way those religious people are, Martha? I mean, they they talk a good talk, but they don't walk a good walk. They say you're supposed to care, but then they don't really care themselves. You know, you just can't count on them. Mm. Listen to this, Martha. A Samaritan came by. Martha said, What is a Samaritan doing right here in the heart of Palestinian Dixie? He says, I don't know, but listen to what he did. He stopped, he got it off, he tended to him, and he put him on his donkey, and he took him all the way into Jericho, and he took care of him at the inn and he even left money for the innkeeper to take care and said, Didn't It cost more. I'll spend it out of my own pocket. I'll come back and repay you. Doesn't that beat all? And Martha was quite impressed by that information. Can you imagine that happening? Now, as the story was told, obviously, there are some fascinating symbols in these people. Who was the Christ figure? Who represented Christ in this? Well, the behavior was very, very much like Jesus, wasn't it? It was the kind of thing that Jesus would do in reaching out for a person who's by the side of the road crying out, Help me, Lord Jesus. Jesus was also the man traveling down the road. Remember Jesus? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment which brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Somehow, that man who was abused through no fault of his own, who was innocent of any wrongdoing, he also, in some significant ways, represents Christ. But the Samaritan, you see, the Samaritan is especially significant because, as you know, the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They did not like them. That was a great racial divide there. Not because they were so very different, but because they were a little bit close. They still worship God, but they didn't do it in just the right way, and there were some problems about that, and they, they, it was almost like a denominational squabble, where they would not have anything to do with them, and you remember the amazement uh, when Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman back in John 4, the disciples couldn't believe but he was talking to, number one, a Samaritan. Number two, a Samaritan who's a woman. He's just run across every kind of uh, cultural barrier that they're happy to work with. But the Samaritan, a person who could easily have passed by and had no accountability to anyone else, who stopped and took the action simply because his heart went out to the person in need. He saw something good to be done and he did it. Remember how James described it? If anyone sees good to be done and you don't do it to you, <laughs> that's a sin. He clearly surprised everybody by the kindness, the intensity of his action. That is a surprise. But there's actually a second surprise person here. The innkeeper. The innkeeper. That's where he took... Why didn't he take him to the hospital, you suppose? Well, there weren't hospitals. In fact, you realize that the worldwide hospital movement really had its beginnings within the church. That's why when you go to uh, Muslim Jakarta, or to Buddhist uh, Bangkok or to Hindu Calcutta, you'll very often find an ancient history called Bethesda, or St. Barnabas, or even Samaritan Hospital. Christian missionaries have been a part of establishing the care of people, hospital care around the world. But to the end, it is interesting, I'm sure that Jesus knew the story of Rahab the innkeeper. He brought the inn into the story. But an innkeeper taking him in Stop for a minute. Suppose you have a house with a guest room available and it's all nice, cleaned up, it's ready for guests. And there's a knock on your door and a man says, Say, I have someone out here. He's dirty, he's bleeding. I'm not sure he's going to survive through the night. Can I bring him in and put him up in your guest room? Huh? so sure about that. The innkeeper participated in that. Why would he? Innkeepers had standards, you know. It's just a few miles back up the road to Jerusalem and then over to Bethlehem where there was an innkeeper who would not even put up a highly, highly pregnant woman when she was about to deliver birth. Go ahead out to the stable. That would be good enough. But this innkeeper took him in, entered into a covenant with the Samaritan. It's another problem there is he stretched out, entered into a covenant with him to give him care through that night, continued to give care as the Samaritan left. And was willing to promise even to keep a tab, to not expect payment up front in order to take care of them beyond that point. The Samaritan was a surprise to us. That was not difficult. But a really big surprise was the innkeeper as well. Do you know that the church needs both Samaritans? And innkeepers. Who are our Samaritans? I see that you support several missionaries, people who are willing to go out and engage the world in a setting that is sometimes not at all comfortable, not at all even receptive. There are people who are on the front line, they're risking some pretty significant danger, just like the Samaritan, even to stop on that Jericho road where there's so much danger working, he was going to be in jeopardy of being attacked further. You don't know where the robbers of God to hide. Their lair may not be far away. The Samaritans may be missionaries, or they may be they may be preachers. You're looking for a preacher. You kind of hope you'll have a preacher who has the courage to walk in where others may fear to tread, to talk to people about Jesus. Even though people may say, hey, I really don't want to hear it. And he's going to care enough about getting the word of Jesus out that he'll try to do that. The uh, Samaritans. The Samaritans may be Maybe a person when uh, your good friend is in the hospital and there's a very real need and there's a hospital chaplain who comes by and who's willing to talk very direct about the difficulty that this person is experiencing and say, may I pray with you, let's ask the Lord to take action where medicine is only going to try to help we can't be sure. There are Samaritans. And it's pretty clear that the Apostle Paul in his evangelistic work understood this principle. Paul would go into a village where there was no uh, church at all, where there was only hostility to gospel, and he'd establish a church. But when he left... He could not just leave that village where people had heard the good news of Jesus and now on, it, but he's worked to establish a group of innkeepers. People who are going to be there, who are going to maintain the faith, who are going to continue to practice the kind of love that has first of all been demonstrated by that Samaritan ministry that opened up the doors of the gospel in the first place. I'm pretty confident that you have Samaritans here. I'm pretty confident you also have innkeepers. Who are the innkeepers in the local church? The person who teaches the nine and ten-year-old boys Sunday school class. (laughs) There's an innkeeper. There's a person who is willing to extend beyond comfort zone. Let me get a little closer to home. Uh, I one time had a couple in counseling who came to me, and it was obvious, theirs was a horrible marriage. They really, they didn't even have the same basic life commitments, life values. And as we went through the fairly lengthy process, the, the first thing, I tried to get them to stop doing damaging, dangerous, and insulting things to one another. But as things began to move further, the sense of the, difference in core values began to be so apparent and he opened the door to doing some biblical study and some teaching and he decided that his problem is he wasn't a Christian and he was behaving like a person who's not a Christian and he really wanted to be a Christian so he was baptized but over in the small town where they lived, there was a church. And that church had a young couples class. I think only about four of her young couples in the class. And when they, he walked in there with his wife, uh, he was looked at. They knew about her, but they didn't know what he was going to be. But he was surprised because they took him in they absorbed him. They worked with him. They, they nurtured him. They accepted that there's a guy whose family life did not really equip him for how to be a responsible husband and father. And they put the arm around him and they helped him. And he grew in Jesus. That Sunday school class was a Sunday school class of in one other story to tell you, uh, I've heard the name Carl Ketcherside mentioned a couple of times since I've been here this morning. Uh, Carl Ketcherside, for those who don't have a lengthy history, was a remarkable orator, a great non-instrumental Church of Christ preacher who had significant impact because he was a uh, kind of a Samaritan for the gospel of Christian unity. But Carl had a congregation down in inner city St. Louis that uh, he nurtured, Uh, never really built it into a big church. In fact, it was a congregation largely made up of grandmas whose children were not even in, uh, in the church. Around a half a century ago, it was my privilege to do a street ministry in St. Louis, where for about five years, uh, we were working with the kids on the streets. This was shortly after the hippie generation, and uh, a lot of the kids with drug problems, and the kind of chaos that, frankly, is still going on in the inner city of St. Louis. But we had some victories in that work, but when... We would have people who would uh, come to Christ. It was very hard for these street kids to find a church where they really felt welcome. You know what the church tended to say? They tended to say, "Sure, send your kids to our church. We we do want them to shave their beards, cut their hair, and put on decent clothing. Okay, no, that's that's all we expect." And somehow that wasn't viewed as welcoming. But they found out about this Oak Hill Chapel. And the kids walked in there and there are a couple things. Number one, there's a fellowship dinner that takes place every Sunday after the worship service. You know, these are kids living on the street who are not really eating very well. And they come in and there's food to eat. And there were these grandmas, some of them whose own grandchildren are out there and they're wishing that they would become faithful to Christ. But these grandmas would hug these kids as they come and say, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I was hoping you'd be here today. I put an extra chicken breast in there just for you and a couple of drumsticks because I knew you like that. And they love them. They pulled them in. They worked with them. They nurtured with them. Nurtured them. They sometimes said, "You know, you got to quit that. You don't need to do that, that anymore. Your life will be better if you give up that stuff." They were innkeepers. Do you know? Carl Ketcherside has passed on, but that little Oak Hill Chapel still exists. And do you know who the next generation of leadership was in Oak Hill Chapel? It was those street kids that the grandmas in the church had nurtured into faithfulness in Christ. How about you? Do you feel called to be a Samaritan? Oh, well, you may actually, you may find more opportunities. The Samaritan wasn't out there looking for people. He wasn't doing an ambulance patrol when he went down the road. The opportunity came before. Or, and there may be some opportunities that will stand before you, and you're going to say, Yes, Lord, there's good to be done, and I will do it. But I'm even more confident. That you will have opportunities as you open your eyes to it. To be the innkeepers. To say, whoever the Lord brings into my setting. I'll be willing to do what I can. To nurture, to support, to guide. To help this person find what new life in Christ really means. We need Samaritans. We need in keepers. By the grace of God. We have both. Would you pray with me? Our God. Sometimes we plan. What good we're going to do. In our lives. And sometimes. You richly reward that. Sometimes. We haven't planned at all. But you are still there. And you give us the opportunity to be and to act like your people. I'm praying that you will help us as we engage this week. To be Samaritans. To be innkeepers. No, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for telling us to go and do this. In Christ's name we pray.